Caitlin, I am regularly haunted by a Dorothy Day quote. Oh, no. Is it the one about the coats? Yeah. She says, if you have two coats, you have stolen one from the poor. (sighs) Yeah. I know this quote. I think about it not infrequently, and I definitely have multiple coats. I do, too. And the reason I'm thinking about it is because I just got another coat. (laughs) A spring jacket. Oh, well, spring jacket's fine. (laughs) She would be totally fine with multiple coats. At least it's not like I'm buying Prada coats with church money. Sounds like we're somewhere between Dorothy Day and Creflo Dollar. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City a podcast from two single Christian women giving away our coats in New York, in theory. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief, best-selling author, national speaker, and public historian, Jamar Tisby. They've answered every question definitively such that there's no more room for mystery, for questioning, for curiosity. That rigidity is really what I think hampers the witness of evangelicals today. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Roxy, I don't know how you keep up with all the news related to Hillsong. We've talked about Hillsong a couple times before on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to the three classic temptations, money, sex, and power, we've covered a lot about sex and power and deep V-necks at Hillsong. So it's probably time to now talk about money. And it is the perfect time because Hillsong leaders have been spending a lot of it. Jonathan, cue the cash register sound. Honestly, Jonathan, you can just keep it on hand for this episode. (laughs) We're going to hear a lot of cha-chings. So last month, a leader in Australia's parliament, armed with 17 binders full of documents, accused Hillsong leaders of breaking financial laws in Australia and beyond, specifically of fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. He said Hillsong leaders spent church money, quote, to do the kind of shopping that would embarrass a Kardashian. I do love an editorializing parliamentarian. (laughs) These documents are all online. If you, you know, want to go peruse them, there's also an Instagram account dedicated to Hillsong kerfuffles. There's a lot, a lot, a lot to wade through. But a few reporters and watchdog groups have pulled out some of the incredible details. Well, some of the some of the highlights, I would say, I've not dug through this, but these are things that other people have highlighted. And I think it's worth noting, you know, part of the problem here is that this is all church funds. What mm-hmm. is implied is that this is not, this is tithing money people are giving to the church, and this is how the funds are being used. Right. These, these funds are not coming out of people's personal bank accounts. They're coming off out of Hillsong bank accounts, out of their, out of Hillsong cards. First item, $150,000 for a three-day luxury retreat in Cancun. Now, I don't even know how you could spend that much money in three days. I mean, 
I guess if like 150 people went. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a lot of cash in to spend of church money in three days. How about thirty seven thousand dollars on flowers? <laughs> Or 13000 on high tea. Now that one I didn't even understand. That's because we don't, we're not from Australia. I was going to say neither of us like tea. <laughs> also that. If coffee, sure. Uh, high tea. Yeah, I think I, I go for low tea. <laughs> <laughs> this is my absolute favorite. $16,000 on custom skateboards. <laughs> And I think the reason this makes me laugh is because I'm imagining Brian Houston, mm -hmm. the co-founding pastor of Hillsong, like riding around on a skateboard in the church trying to look young. He did recently get charged with a DUI, so maybe he has to go on a skateboard now. See, as I was saying, it, it, like there's so much Hillsong news. Yeah. A lot of money belonging to the church went to travel for each Hillsong leader. In just three months, Brian Houston had spent $150,000 on first-class flights. The <laughs> parliament leader said, again, this guy has a lot of zingers, said he, quote, treated private jets like Ubers. Amazing. So I think it's safe to say that all top Hillsong leaders were enjoying kind of luxury travel on the church's budget. Yeah, I, I also noticed a lot of money spent on sushi. It is a very revealing report. It really is. But I think one of the maybe most alarming stories to come out of this was the $288,000 on honorariums to guest speakers like Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Christine Kane. Yes, let's camp out here for a minute because the the parliament leader just called it the celebrity pastor scam in his report. Yeah. Basically, Hillsong leaders had this tit-for-tat arrangement with people like Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Christine Kane, many other people, where a Hillsong church would host a leader to come in, give like a 30-minute sermon, cover all of their expenses, treat them to nice meals, nice hotel, blah, blah, blah. Add an honorarium on top of that, also allow them to sell their books or their products and collect royalties uh, from the event. But the money was going directly to the leader, but it was coming out of the church funds. It wasn't like I'm doing this on behalf of my church and then giving right. whatever I make to my own church. It was the church is paying an honorarium that's going into the person's personal funds. Right. And then that person turns around and invites a Hillsong leader and they do the same. So both right. churches are being used by the leaders to line each other's pockets. And we're talking big honorariums. Like some over $100,000. Yeah. Yeah. Not not like, hey, here's $700 to come speak at our church. But also you have to cover your own travel. <laughs> right. Right. I, it, it's a, it was a crazy amount of money. And of course, it's like, again, like you said, this is not something that like the churches are trading occasionally. The churches are paying for it and getting nothing out of it. I mean, they're getting the pastor being there, I guess. But it's not like when their pastor goes out and makes the same amount of money that the church sees any return from that. Yes. Yes. The church, the two churches are not benefiting each other. The churches are being used to benefit the leader's personal wealth, which I feel like Jesus might have something to say yeah. about. It seems some like a turning the tables kind of moment. 
<laughs> yeah. As the report says, again, give this guy a podcast. He said the mega wealthy pastors of the world's largest mega churches are all in on it. By continually inviting each other to speak at their church services and events, they're effectively lining each other's personal pockets and enabling luxurious lifestyles, all with church money sacrificially donated by the general public who are not wealthy. I assume these kinds of things aren't relegated to Hillsong. It feels like the kind of thing you expect corrupt politicians to do. Well, (laughs) I hate to break it to you. Sometimes Christian leaders act like corrupt politicians. Um, You know, obviously the Hillsong story and this example that we've just been unpacking is one of the most egregious kind of descriptions of this kind of tit-for-tat arrangement Mm -hmm. with like very high levels of spending that I imagine most churches, even big mega churches, are not participating in. But you still see these informal ministry networks of Mm. pastors, church leaders, influencers, authors, kind of vouching for each other in a spiritual framework or for a spiritual community so that the other person is financially successful in some way, even though they might not call it that or be so crass about it. Right. Like I was going to call it like an old boys network. But I guess Hillsong had some women in it, so should we celebrate that? (laughs) Joyce Meyer breaking the glass ceiling. (laughs) Um, No, I don't think we should celebrate it. (laughs) But the old boys network as a term is like getting at this kind of sharing of wealth and power. Right, like kind of an old question of like how much money should a pastor make? Yes. Right, like we have this sort of like poor as a church mouse idea that like I think has been attached for a long time to like what is the lifestyle of a pastor and this feels like there's like some traditions that are that have like a a really strong pushback to that and and would have a theological pushback to that idea of a Mm -hmm. pastor living in poverty Mm -hmm. and I don't know like is that what this is is this well I actually do know Maybe, maybe I do know maybe I have thoughts about it but I do have thoughts about it but I I wonder, like, where is this? I think there is this question of, like, where is the line? Like, what is too much wealth, too much extravagance, too much lavishness? Yeah, what I hear you saying is that within the broad Christian tradition, there's one end of the spectrum that are the Benedictine monks mm-hmm. or the Jesuits who are mm-hmm. taking actual vows of poverty to live in people like Dorothy Day, you know, like to live a life of intentional poverty and simplicity in part to show solidarity with the poor or with people that they're serving. And to model like a resistance to a culture of greed or consumerism. Yeah. (laughs) Which let's come back to that. Uh, The other end of the spectrum are people who are like, no, God wants you to be wealthy. Like part Mm -hmm. of what it means to be blessed by God is to not just experience, you know, physical health, to experience spiritual breakthrough, but also to experience like more money. Like, Mm -hmm. and uh, they might offer a note to say so that you can be more generous. But then when you look at the examples in that camp, these are not people who are concerned about like flashing their wealth or showing off their wealth. I mean, one of the guy's names is Creflo Dollar. So in between those two, most of us are living, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not, we don't have a vow of poverty, but neither do we 
believe that God wants us to be financially wealthy as a sign of blessing. So we're in between those two camps, but then what are the guidelines, our rules, maybe specifically for pastors or people in church leadership? How much is too much? How much is reasonable? How do you go about even answering those questions? I'll be honest. Like, I think I, I probably tend toward thinking that pastors should live more modestly than not. Mm-hmm. But I, I would also extend that to Christians in general. Um, but I, I don't know how to draw that line either. Like I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are in ministry and I like, I'm not begrudging them a nice night out or a good, you know, a fancy dinner or a Broadway show or like good clothes, you know, I, so I, it's like, I don't quite know where to draw that line and when you draw it, um, and I think that's sometimes I feel like I know it when I see it, like I'm like, oh, mm. you know, on preachers and sneakers, Instagram, looking at it going, yeah, that's not okay to wear like clothing that costs thousands of dollars and is visibly like visible luxury that somebody who's maybe sitting in a pew might go, those shoes cost more than my paycheck and mm-hmm. I'm living on food stamps. Like what's going on here? You know? Yeah. It seems like with preachers and sneakers, what it helps to pinpoint that it is problematic for pastors is a kind of flashiness, like not just having nice clothing or nice things, but having the kinds of things that shout to the world. Mm -hmm. I paid a lot of money for this. Like that Mm -hmm. feels like an obvious opulence that is inappropriate that really doesn't have to get, it doesn't have to be luxury clothing. Like in particular contexts, it could be, I don't know, like really nice cowboy boots <laughs> or like whatever in that particular cultural context that the person is ministering into, what is the thing that communicates flashiness or opulence and what communicates modesty? Right. Like is, is your clothing in some way signaling something? Yes. And the, there's lots of things you can signal with your clothing, including poverty. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that can be its own interesting signal that you might be making. Like I'm thinking about Shane Claiborne and he's like taken a a vow of a type of poverty and he like wears only homemade pants and like they kind of all look a certain way. For some reason, I have such a vivid image in my mind of Shane Claiborne's pants. Mm-hmm. Well, he he posts pictures of them pretty regularly and sometimes they have pockets and he talks about how useful the pockets are, which... It's true. Pockets are great. Yeah. But it's like, that's like a visible signal of something too. And so Mm -hmm. I think like we, we are all signaling sometimes with Mm -hmm. what we're wearing and maybe that could be good or bad, but. What do you think of the notion that pastors and other church leaders are regarding clothing and what the things that they have and whatever they're signaling that they're being held to a higher standard than other Christians? And then in fact, if we're talking about flashiness being a problem, we should be applying that to everybody in the church. Yeah. I mean, my answer is that we should be applying it to everyone in the church. I think pastors are the model, right? Like I think that they're modeling something for their congregation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, a pastor for better and worse, like really sets a tone for a congregation, I think. So I think there are ways that pastors through their own lives and their own values and their own passions, like end up kind of casting some of the visions for a church. And so, you know, I think when a pastor models wealth and maybe flashiness or extravagance, like that is a kind of message to the church, whether he or she intends it to be or not, Mm -hmm. congregants pick up on that. And I think when Mm -hmm. 
when you have a pastor that is intentionally trying to live in a more modest way and maybe intentionally say like wealth can be problematic mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like that's something that then is a posture that is modeled to the congregation and, and a congregation might have to deal with that differently um and so like i think about our church like there's a there's some pretty significant wealth disparities in our church. Um, it's New York city. Mm -hmm. And when I see wealth on display at my church, I get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think like, is this, is this what Jesus wants? Is this how even the wealthy people among us should be spending money? Um, and then I look at myself and I like, I like nice things too. And I like Mm -hmm. to go out to eat and am I just like, being self-righteous when I judge that kind of wealth on display. Like that's a question that I pushed, like turned back on myself a lot. And mm-hmm. or is it just jealousy? Cause I can't afford those things. <laughs> I want a $16,000 custom skateboard. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. Some of this is complicated because you start thinking about you, you maybe specifically with clothing, you start mm-hmm. thinking about price tags Mm-hmm. And I have in my mind what I think of as luxury that's like too much for a pastor to wear like on display during a church service. Mm-hmm. But I also know that I have a few pieces of clothing that I quote unquote have invested in. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I love them, because I think they're going to last for a long time, because I'm going to use them a lot. Like, that other people, if they found out how much I spent on that thing, would be like, wow, that's mm-hmm. hypocritical of you because even though the price tag might be different, you're still spending what they consider a lot of money on a material possession. Mm-hmm. So are we all just hypocrites and dunking on Hillsong because we don't want to deal with the desire for wealth in our own hearts? Honestly, yes. I mean, I think that's true. I... I think these are really tricky questions and a lot of times we don't want that spotlight on us. And so we keep the bar a little bit higher than where we would be. You know, <laughs> yes. like, oh, that, like my $400 purchase is not a big deal compared to that $16,000 purchase or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. consumerism eats at all of us because it is the water that we swim in. And I think like, I would say I have lived with, more than enough money at times in my life. And I have lived like paycheck to paycheck at times in my life where I've been Mm -hmm. like, uh, I can't go out to brunch this Sunday because I don't have the money. Right. And I think living in that Mm -hmm. place, Mm -hmm. like what I came to realize is how easy it is to not see the needs around you if you're living with enough and to not even understand Yes. The struggle that a lot of people have. And I think that's something you want your pastors to be able to understand is the struggles that people are living in that might be in their congregations. And if they have so much, if they have a lot of money and especially visibly so, like maybe they are not in touch with those needs. Well, not just out of touch, but are those pastors actively creating barriers for ministering Mm -hmm. to people who are living in a different income bracket or who are actively struggling. Mm -hmm. Like as a pastor, don't you want the church to be the foremost place where people of a variety of incomes 
can come and feel included and belong and feel like there's a place for them. And they don't, it, this isn't just another place where they feel like they're running a rat race. Mm-hmm. And if the church looks like, quote unquote, like the world in that regard, it seems like mm-hmm. something's off. Yeah, that's a good point. I think of pastors as the moral conscience of their community. And so to me, a pastor is living in such a way as to be a prophetic call to their community. And I'm not saying all pastors have to be prophets. I just mean that there's like this sense that they're calling people to live a certain way. And then that means that they're modeling it as well. So I'm not going to say like a pastor is like, whatever I would say, ask of a pastor, I think is also what the pastor should ask of their congregation, or at least be challenging their congregation to live in that way. Right. You're saying it's not just we project these expectations onto the pastor to be morally perfect. It's that we want that pastors have a calling to model living into kingdom ethics, not just for themselves so that we can all get off the hook, but that they can also call us to do the same thing. Yes, exactly. I have a feeling some of our listeners have some thoughts about this topic. But first, let's take a break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. From A to Z, the Anglican Church to Zoroastrianism, RNS covers it all. And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Throw us a rating or review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show. You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We want to hear from you and we reply. So obviously we could keep talking, I think, forever about (laughs) our ideas on pastors and money and wealth on display at church, but we wanted to hear from some of our listeners. Yes, I did something very scientific, which is that I posted a few polls on Twitter (laughs) recently to find out where many of you draw the line uh, on a, a few specific items related to pastors and spending. So I asked a question about whether pastors should buy luxury clothing. Then I asked whether pastors should use private jets, not necessarily own them, but use them. And I also asked whether pastors should live in multi-million dollar homes. I think million dollar homes is probably too like common these days, Mm. just based on no kidding the expense of everything and the the housing market in many places across the U.S. So multi-million dollars felt like a slightly higher bar. But basically, I was trying to suss out where do we draw the line with our pastors and what do we expect? And all of you had a lot of thoughts. We ended up hearing from thousands of you with these three questions. And so just as a quick recap of how people voted... With the question, should a pastor ever buy luxury clothing? About 51% said no. 8% said yes. And then, of course, 40% said it depends. And we'll get to the it depends comments shortly. Yeah. This one was a little bit more straightforward, more black and white. Is it okay for pastors and ministry leaders to use private jets? Only about 5% said yes. 76% said no. 18% said it depends. Okay. I don't know what it depends on. We'll get to that. Me neither. I can't think of anything. (laughs) 
<laughs> like if they were bequeathed a private I, jet. <laughs> I think I understand why the Pope uses a private jet, but... Yes, the safety reasons, but he's the Pope. Most of these pastors are not. Okay, this one got a lot. This one got over 3,000 votes. A question, is it okay for pastors to have multi-million dollar homes? A little over 5% said yes. 71.5% said no. And then 23% said it depends. That was actually a harder line than I expected. Yeah, me too. Especially reading the comments on that one because I felt like they were they made really good points in the it depends comments, which is which was mostly what you would expect. Like I live in Southern California. A multi-million dollar home is like a one-bedroom house, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that point was well taken. Yes, a lot of this is about where you live and what's considered opulent in one place is going to just be considered like very standard or average or even modest in another place. I appreciated what uh, Carrie Woodward said in response to that particular poll about the homes. She said, I wanted to answer what should a pastor's standard of living look like compared to the average person in their congregation? And I thought that was like a good, she went on to add some more thoughtful um, insights, but I thought that was a good clarification or a good way to think about it. Like, what's the standard of living of the people that you're serving and Mm -hmm. where do you want to live within that? Like maybe not at the wealthiest end and maybe not at like the lowest end either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The responses to the private jets question were pretty unanimous. Not many people answered, not many people elaborated on it depends. Mm. The the one exception seemed to be for safety reasons. Or like if you're traveling with like a big entourage or something. But it seemed like a lot of people were like, but that's maybe problematic. So. Yeah. If someone asked, is it someone else's private jet? I still think it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're still like, it's a big carbon footprint. Well, we, yeah. We, I mean, gosh, we haven't even talked about environmental concerns and the use of resources stewarded rightly. People kept bringing up, well, what if it was a gift? What if mm-hmm. they're not the ones paying it, but someone gifted them the a ride on a private jet or gifted them luxury clothing items? Mm. This comes up a lot with the conversation about pastors wearing like luxury brand clothing, the justification is often like, well, they they got it as a gift mm-hmm. from the designer or from somebody in the congregation. So they didn't spend all this money on it. But I still think it creates a problematic sense of preference for the person who's wealthy who gave you the gift. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and this was crazy from... Jonna Harris, she mentioned in the luxury clothing comments that some churches she knows of had like brands uh-huh. partnering with the pastors, like donating clothes for the pastors to wear on stages. I'm assuming these are like big mega churches, but that is crazy to me. It's like Instagram influencers. That feels gross. It makes sense <laughs> from a brand's perspective. Like you've yes. got this very respected person on a stage yes. in front of a captive audience of thousands week after week wearing your clothes. Makes sense, but ooh, I don't like it. Naturally, I thought, and maybe you also thought, that the thread and the conversation around the question about luxury clothing was the most interesting because it feels mm-hmm. like we're just those people, but also, uh, 
it, that's where it feels like there's there are the most number of nuances to pull out mm-hmm. compared with like a private jet. Like, mm-hmm. and part of the nuance here with this question is what is even what even is luxury clothing? Right, that was big. Like people were like, is luxury clothing like a brand or is it a certain price point? And as a lot of people noted, like everybody's idea of what luxury is is different. <laughs> I feel like luxury brands has an objective meaning. I I think that the comments bear (laughs) otherwise. When I said luxury brands, I thought this was like an objectively understood uh, label, no pun intended, for the kinds of designer fashion that advertise in places like Vogue, Mm -hmm. where a big part of why you wear it is to signal that you are wearing Louis Vuitton or Prada or like the, the brand is the point. Right. Right. Although I think uh, before I moved to New York city, my definition of luxury maybe wasn't that. And I maybe would have thought like, Oh, um, something I can buy at anthropology is luxury. Cause that cost me several hundred dollars, you know? <laughs> Now I'm this like, is where this all becomes very sticky. It does. It does. And this is why, like, I think a lot of the commenters made the point, like, how, like, are we really going to draw like an extra biblical line here? Yeah. And I don't think that we, <laughs> yeah, but okay. I want to say, oh, I don't think we should draw a line around a budget. Like mm-hmm. after this dollar amount, it's bad. Right. But I also kind of know it when I see it, that a pastor wearing a piece of clothing that cost him several thousand dollars. I'm comfortable saying that's not appropriate. I am too. Even if you have a really rich congregation or work in a wealthy area, like I still think that you're then modeling maybe a destructive force on the world that you should be calling your congregation away from. Someone named Megan Megan Neeson had a couple helpful comments on this thread. She said, I was at a large women's event once and two women got up wearing Gucci belts and shoes. Gave me such an icky feeling, especially given how much I'd paid and we'd planned for me to get there. So like how much money people are paying just to be at the event. But then she says, but I also had a Kate Spade bag with me that I adore one well-made bag is more sustainable than several cheaper ones. It comes down to the why, like in all things. Do you want the Coach or Louis Vuitton bag just because it has the brand all over it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people pointed to motivations. And specifically, like, the way that luxury brands, part of the point is to show off the luxury brand versus part of the point of investing in a piece of clothing that might be expensive, but you're doing it because you're going to use it a lot and you're... Mm-hmm. you're actually spending less money over time than if you were to just buy like 10 cheap, cheaply made bags that you have right. to replace every season. And I think there's a real question here of like fast fashion mm-hmm. is bad for the world and is and bad, bad for, for the workers and bad for fashion. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a lot of problems that come with fast fashion, but that's also like, it's still hard for people at a, you know, who are living paycheck to paycheck to, to care because that they, right. they can afford clothes at Target and they can't afford clothes at Nordstrom's or whatever, you know? Right. Right. Like it is a bit, it is a privilege to even be able to ask where was my clothing made? Who made it? Were they paid fairly? What kind of carbon footprint did the production mm-hmm. of this clothing? You know, this is why we need to have Whitney Balk back on. We do. Or Kyle 
Howard, who had a lot of really great thoughts, no surprise, um, on your Twitter thread comments mm-hmm. as well, um, including like he really pointed out that like this, like there are real intersections here of class and culture too that yes. um, determine a lot of how people define luxury. Maybe this means that pastors should wear robes. I I swear to you, this is where I'm landing. But then it, maybe it means that we all should wear like uniforms like Shane Claiborne again. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I do th- I do wonder, like, I think there's a reason that yes. the robe thing happened. <laughs> the, the robe incident, which is something else that happens in New York that you don't want to see on the street. No, <laughs> when when, you know, our our priests wear robes. They're nice robes. They mm-hmm. signify a kind of set apartness. It's not mm-hmm. like they're wearing threadbare rags. But I am not thinking about the choices that they made for what they put on that morning and what it's supposed to signify to us. Like the robe yeah. neutralizes the space yes. and neutralizes an attention on someone's personality or wealth bracket. And that's very helpful for me to see from the front of our church. I don't, I do not go to a church where pastors wear robes. And I'm not sure that that's a thing that I'm going to push for at my particular church. (laughs) But just show up one Sunday. (laughs) Be like, I bought this for you. Yes, exactly. Um, I I did recently become an elder at my church. So maybe that'll be my agenda. Um, (laughs) You're going to go down in your church's like history as like the robe pusher. (laughs) Yes, We had this one woman who was just like obsessed with robes. But I, I truly think I might be leaning toward that as the solution here. Yes. Maybe there's like an evangelical alternative. Like, like maybe we can find the perfect, like, black Levi's and black like button down shirt or something that is like the absolute most neutral middle of the road maybe we can find that black converse yeah yeah they're still cool but they don't cost a ton of money Mm-mm. Saved by the City is a religion news service production the producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell we get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Windham Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music We are Roxy Stone and Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.